Well, good morning. You know, there's a lot of things in this world that we can look out into culture, and we clearly see uh, it's not really how God asked us to live. A lot of things that we can look out there and be like, that is is clearly against what, what God asked us to do in his word. But then there's a lot of things in culture that we've come just to kind of be okay with. As a church, as Christianity, as disciples of Jesus, a lot of things that, that they said that, that we've, we've become okay with. And then, and then there's a few things, and we could probably spend a lot of time talking about this. There's a few things out in this world that we've actually become supporters of. That we think is really okay, there's nothing wrong with God, God is totally fine with this. And, and today I want to start by tackling one of those things. And it's something that I struggle with. It's something that probably you struggle with. It, and I'm, I'm just going to call it this, this disease and illness. We're just calling it do-it-yourself-itis. Do-it-yourself-itis. We actually praise people who do it themselves, right? They don't to just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Right, right? This, this is a good thing. This is what motivational movies come from. Right? Someone who, who didn't need anything, who, who didn't need any help from anybody, who did it on their own, who came from nothing, and then they, they pulled themselves up from their bootstraps and they, they took care of it themselves. They got stuff done. And, and, and this, is, this is what we look to. This is what we praise. This is what we're so excited to see in our world. But this isn't what God has called us to. We started this this series on community a few weeks ago, and and God has called us to live in community. But this do-it-yourself, I just mean, it 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 infects every part of our world, even simple things like trying to open a jar. All right, be honest with me. Guys, for a moment, has there ever been a jar you've not been able to open? Men, I'm talking about to men specifically. Has there ever been a jar you've not been able to open? Okay, a couple brave people raising their hands. Okay, no, 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 there's not, right? If, if we get to that point where we can't get it open, we put it on the shelf. That didn't happen. Nope, nope, nope. Or if we really need what's in there, we just go for the hammer downstairs in the basement, right? It is coming open and I am going to do it. I don't need nobody. Women though, hey, don't don't laugh so quickly. You're just as bad. You might hand a jar you can't get open to someone else, and if they get it, what's the first words out of your mouth? I'll loosen it up for you. Oh come on! I did the work before you got it! Wait, we don't need nobody! We can do it ourselves! And this is the world we live in, and we can laugh, and it is funny when it is simple things like opening a jar. But then we get to things like mental health. Then we get to things that are really just hard in life, hard seasons where we need help from others. And there's this, there's this track that we play through our mind of, well, I can't tell this person about it because they don't understand. Or I can't tell this other friend of mine because I've heard the way they've talked about it. And they're, they're just going to laugh at me. They might be supportive, but then they're going to turn around and, and, and they don't get it because I've heard about how they've talked about it. Or I can't tell this other friend because they... One excuse after another. And whether it's a hard season of life, whether it's something we're struggling with, whether it is just a task that we need help with, when it is something serious that we need help... It is such a part of our culture and our world that, that we don't ask for help. We're, we're not going there. 
and it just breaks my heart. Today we're diving into the book of Exodus a little bit as we continue this series that we've just entitled Cultivating Community. And we've started by looking at how God has has laid the foundation for his community, the nation of Israel, going all the way back to Abraham, going all the way back to, to the creation of the world as God wove this need for community into the fabric of creation, into our own lives. And... And we get to the book of Exodus where the nation of Israel is, is living in Egypt. And it is a hard season to say the least. We looked at Joseph a little bit last week and how he brought his whole family down to Egypt. And, and they're growing by leaps and bounds. And they're, they have their part of Egypt where they're living. But Exodus starts with a new king, a new pharaoh who rose to power. And he did not know about Joseph and what Joseph did. And how he saved basically the whole land of Egypt and everyone who lived there. All he saw was this group of people. And they were growing they were multiplying. They, their, their influence was about to get to a point where this is not, not going to be good for, for the nation of, Is, uh, of Egypt and the Egyptians. And so they decided to oppress the Israelites. And for 400 years, the nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt. And then God called a man by the name of Moses. Moses has a very interesting story, lots of fascinating details that we could look at different parts, but, but what I want us to zero in on is this section where God comes to Moses after he's left and fled from Egypt, and God calls him to go back to bring his people up out of slavery in Egypt, to, to follow him, to go worship him, and, and follow him into the, what would eventually be then the promised land. Moses was 83 years old when, when God came to him with this task. So anyone who thinks you're too old for God to use you, Moses was 83. 83. And God comes to him in a burning bush and says, I want you to go back. And, and Moses finds every excuse that he can not to go back to Egypt. And this is what I want us to look at this morning. And what I want us to see as we dive into this is how God reveals himself in the midst of adversity. How God reveals himself in the midst of adversity. If you remember last week, let me pull, connect these just a little bit for us this morning. Um, last week we talked about Joseph. Last week we talked about how God brings good out of really bad situations. We compared it to a parent who wants really, really deeply to bring good out of bad situations for their kids, right? If, if your kid skins their knee or falls down or has a bad day at school, right? We, we want to make it better. So we'll take them for ice cream or cheese puffs or whatever it might be. We take them to try something to make it better. But no parent's going to push their kid over just to go get them ice cream and make it better. And in the similar way, right? God, God did not orchestrate this to make it happen, but God is working good to make things good for his nation that is in oppression and, and slaves in, in Egypt. And as he's working for good, I think he gives Israel, he gives Israel here the greatest blessing that they've ever had. And that is the knowledge of who he is. God reveals himself to the nation of Israel in a way that he never has before in their history up to this point. We see this beginning, we see this beginning as God is talking with Moses in the burning bush, it's not burning, calling him to go back to do this task. And we see that the first thing that God is going to do for his people, the nation of Israel, in the way, the first way that he's going to reveal himself to them is by revealing his name. 
Do you realize that when God called Abraham to follow him to go to the promised land, God didn't even tell him his name? You realize this? Exodus chapter 6, God's speaking to Moses. And he said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. God called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to follow him. He was, he was their God. He made this covenant with Abraham. And yet he never even told them his name. And so as Moses is trying to think of excuses why not to listen to God and go back into Egypt. He says, God, who, who do I even say sent me? And God reveals his name to Moses in this moment. Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And in this incredible moment, God reveals for the first time in Israel's history his name in the face of adversity to Moses before, before he's actually revealing himself, himself to, to Israel. Moses is going to go back and say, I am has sent me to you. I am who, who called Abraham, who called Isaac, who called Jacob. I, I am is, is God who has been watching over you, who has been with you from the very beginning of time. I am is coming back, and I am has some things to show you. And I just love this. And I love how, how God just really reveals himself in so many ways in the face of adversity. And specifically, he reveals his name, and then he reveals that he is a God who remembers He's a God of his word. He's a God who keeps his promises. Several times as Moses is talking with God and and as God is looking down, we read in the book of Exodus several times how God remembers his covenant with his people. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob while they were in slavery as they were crying out to God for deliverance, for saving. He remembered his covenant. Exodus chapter 6 as God is speaking with Moses, he says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Right? This is not the kind of remembering that God had forgotten about it and needed to be reminded. This is the remembering that when I get home from the grocery store and Hannah says, Hey, did you remember the milk? I said, Hey, I remembered the milk. I got the milk. It's right here. I, I remembered the milk. And God says, Hey, I, I remembered my promise. I remember my covenant. It, it's right here. I never forgot it. I, I never just misplaced it. it. It's right here. It's just really hard when God's timing is not our timing. And we worry that God has forgotten about us. We worry that God is nowhere to be found. Has he forgotten the promises that he has given us? And, and really his timing was just not our timing. And there are so many times where, where God, you, you've promised me something and I, I, I need it now. I don't know if you see what's happening around me, but like, I, I need this right now. And God says, yeah, you got another three decades before I actually give that to you. Or there's times on the other side where we say, God, I, I know you've promised this, but I, I need it to wait a little bit longer. I'm not ready for this. I, I need a few more years. God says, no, you're, you're ready now. And it's happening this week. And our timing is not God's timing. 
and hopefully, hopefully we get on the other side of whatever his timing is by a few years and we can look back and we can praise God for his timing, not ours, because his timing is always perfect. His timing is always at the right time. But it does leave us with this question, God, have you forgotten? Do you remember? Do you see us? And it is so easy to doubt that God is is remembering us in this moment when simply his time is not our time. God reveals himself in the midst of adversity. He reveals his name to his people. He reveals that he is a God of his word, that he remembers his promise. He also reveals in some amazing ways that he is a God of power and of authority, of strength, of ability. Think back for just a moment and into the stories that you know that, that we've talked about over the last few weeks from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about what God has done to show his power and authority up to this point. He was with Abraham as they went through the land of Egypt briefly. He was clearly with Joseph as we looked last week. Joseph was in prison and God was with him. It actually says God was with Joseph. We see several times where God did things, but we see that in hindsight. But there's not really been a display of God's authority and his power and his might. The way we see from Jesus in the New Testament, the way that we think of these stories from the Old Testament, we've not seen this yet from God. But as Moses goes back to Egypt, he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh, of course, says, no, there's his workforce gone. And he says, no. And so God displays what he is capable of. He turns all the water in the Nile to blood. He causes flies to come in that was unheard of to the degree that was as he, he caused livestock just to, to fall over. To, he, he, he displays his power and his authority to a degree that he never has before. This, this gives me a little bit more of, a, of a respect and appreciation for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as, as God has called him. And, and we don't read about anything God has done up to this point to reveal his name, to reveal his power. There's this voice, I assume, maybe from heaven just saying, follow me. And Abraham says, okay, like, what kind of faith did Abraham have to have to follow God without any of this? Without knowing the name of God, without knowing the power, the might, the authority of God? This is incredible. And then we see this opportunity in the face of adversity with the nation of Israel that God chooses to show up and display his power and his might. We see 10 plagues that God sends on Egypt as they refuse to let the Israelite people go. One of my favorites, maybe not favorites, we're talking about plagues here. This probably isn't a favorite. One of the ones that most fascinates me the most is the ninth plague. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Now this was a literal darkness also. We see a couple verses later, Exodus 10, 23, But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Again, also pointing to God's authority, his power, that, that there was darkness over the whole land except for where Israel was living, except for his people. How crazy would, would that be to see darkness everywhere except for this one area? Just mind-boggling, mind-blowing here. This is just awesome. So it was a literal darkness, but, but he clarifies that it's also a darkness to be felt. You ever felt darkness before? 
this is will speculation here so don't this is this is not gospel by any stretch of the imagination but the number of times I've talked with people who really wrestle with depression and describe it as a darkness that they feel I wonder I wonder if that's what's happening here it's not just a darkness over the land where we, you, you can't see there's no there's no sunlight there's there's nothing but it was a depression that just sank into the hearts of the Egyptians. Right? God displayed his power and might in incredible ways through this. And, and more than just displaying it, especially with, with these plagues, it was, it was a direct attack against the Egyptian gods. Right? They worshipped the god of the Nile. It was the source for, for produce, for crops, of, of water, of, of, of livelihood for them. So they had a god of the Nile. And, and God looked down and said, uh, let's see what your god thinks about this. I'll turn it to blood. Your, your god, turn it back. Can, can he do this? Can, can, you, can he help you? Can you call out to him, make sacrifice? Can, can he help you at all? Right, this isn't just God displaying his, his power, but it is him proving that he is God and that their gods are not real. Right? They worship the God of the sun. So God caused darkness to come over the land. What's your God say about that? Can your God bring back the light? Can your God do anything? And he not only displayed his power and authority, but disproved the Egyptian gods that they worshiped as false gods. That's the power of our God, not just to display his power, but to make a point with an exclamation point at the end. He revealed himself to his people in this time of immense adversity, of persecution, of suffering, of heartache and heartbreak, of slavery, as they were tortured and beaten and, and forced to work. And, 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 and God took that opportunity to reveal himself in amazing and powerful ways. And I think that's a big reason why do-it-yourself-itis is so dangerous. It stops us from, from knowing God. It stops us from experiencing God. When we try to tackle things on our own, when we say, no, God, I got this, and we try to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps, then we say, God, I don't want to take this opportunity to learn something about you. And that might not be the actual thought process that goes through our mind. That not, might not be the words that come out of our mouth. But I think that this is a principle that is repeated throughout Scripture. That we see God revealing himself to people in moments of adversity. As I look back on my life, I, I see some amazing moments in my life that, that God taught me something about myself, that God taught me something about him in seasons of, of that were really, really hard. Author and pastor John C. Maxwell said, adversity is an opportunity for self-discovery. I think there's a lot of truth there. We, we figure out in seasons of adversity what we are really made of, what we are capable of what our character and integrity is really like. And you couple that with a church theologian who went as far to say without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. I think there's a lot of truth there also. And the more we learn about ourselves, the more we see the fingerprints of God all over the place. 
and we learn something about God, the more we learn about ourselves. And, and adversity is not just an opportunity for, for self-knowledge and learning about ourselves. But I think God uses adversity over and over in Scripture and just by own experience to teach us something about Him. I know something wonderful about this church here and about each and every one of you. You're incredible doers. If something needs to be done, I know about 10 people I could call in a heartbeat that would get it done. And I absolutely love that. Our last church cleanup day was a testament to that. We had some people show up and spend hours scrubbing baseboards. You guys know how to show up and how to get stuff done. And will take as long as it need as it takes to, to get it done. And I appreciate that far more than you know and realize. I really do. But when was the last time that we spent two hours just in prayer? When was the last time that we spent an hour before God? Reading scripture, praying, seeking him to move and work because we'll all recognize that there are just things God can do that we can't, right? We, we, we can acknowledge that. I can't turn the Nile River to blood, right? We, we can acknowledge on some level with the big things that God just can do things I can't. But it doesn't keep me from doing absolutely everything I can do on my own. And I just wonder how many things about God we miss by trying to do it on our own so much. And I think that a big way God reveals himself to us is also through other people, through community. Through community, we, we learn about the character and the nature of, of God. Moses didn't do all of these things on his own. He went with Aaron. We see as he continues to lead the nation of Israel that they were at war with someone and God said to hold up your, your hands to the heavens and as long as your hands are up, then you'll be winning the war. The Israelites will be winning the war. Sometimes I raise my hands during a worship song and by the end of the song, my arms are tired. Right? It takes longer than a song to win a war. And so people came and held his arms up. Right? We, we need help from people in our lives. And in that moment, we see glimpses of God. We see his name revealed. Oh, the many names of God that he has. We look through scripture and we see so many names. And in different seasons of life, we need different names. We need the God of justice. We need the God of patience. We need the God of of love. We, we need the God who exemplifies all these things, Yahweh, Elohim, all these names that imply so many different aspects and characteristics of God. We could go on for days about this, and we need those in different seasons. We need God to reveal to us that he sees us, that he has remembered his promise, that he has not left us, that he is here with us. We need God to reveal his power and his strength to us because we cannot do it on our own. And if we keep being so stubborn to do things on our own, then we are going to miss God revealing himself to us. The cross 
is the greatest example of God revealing himself to humanity. God so deeply wants to reveal himself to us that he came down as a man, fully God, fully man in the person of Jesus Christ, and displayed his power through submission on the cross. And his power through the resurrection coming back to life. He revealed how to live in a world that does not follow God. He revealed what it's like to have fun with kids. Right? God revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. And so we gather and we worship and we praise him. And we cry out to God to continue to reveal himself to us. We're going to pause in this moment to take communion as we always do every week. But this week as we reflect and think, I want us to take a moment and confess. Just between you and God, confess the times that you've tried to do it on your own. The times that you've tried to power through, that you've not stayed focused on him, that you've not cried out for help and support. Confess the times that you have have tried to do it on your own. And I want us to take a moment to lament what we have missed from God. How we have missed him revealing himself to us and, and what we have missed, what he's trying to show us. But I also want you to rest in his grace that he's not done showing you who he is. He is not finished revealing himself to you. And I want us to just end our time by crying out, God, show us who you are. Show us who you are. I'm going to be down here if you'd like someone to pray with you. There'll be other people from our prayer team around who would love a chance to pray with you in this moment. I'm going to pray, and then after you kind of talk about or, or think about those things, go before God with those things, confession and lament and, and, and resting in his grace. Go ahead and take communion on your own when you're ready. Father God, we are so grateful for the ways that you reveal yourself to us. It's interesting to see how how in scripture and so many times in my life at least that it seems to be in seasons of adversity, seems to be in seasons where I need it the most, where, where you just give us a little window into who you are. And God, as a church, we just cry out and ask for your grace for times that we've tried to do it ourselves when you've been trying to show us something about you. God, may you help us have the courage and the strength to cry out to you for help, others for help, so that we can see who you're trying to show us that you are. So that we can see your, your strength and your might and your power. And that's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.